Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Harrow inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. And you're on the record at a time of year that everybody loves. March Madness, opening of the Major League Baseball season on the heels of the World Baseball Classic. Playoffs and hockey and basketball just around the corner. Golf majors around that corner. Tennis majors around the other corner. Pickleball and other sports getting their stays in the sun. There's nothing else better to do than look at the deal-making issues around the world. Three to one. Three. The Players' Championship dominated last weekend, 2.45 rating and a 4.1 million viewership, up 38%. Scotty Scheffler's win also ranks as the most-watched PGA Tour event this season, most-watched non-major golf event since the final round of the Players two years ago. Still on the low side relative to other years, Final round averaged 5.8 million five years ago when Tiger Woods finished just outside the top 10. Tiger is always and always will be the draw. But not coincidentally, all four mega events that increased viewership, Phoenix, Riviera, Bay Hill, and the players, elevated events on the PGA Tour schedule with bigger prize money and the required presence of the Tour's most prominent players as determined by the Player Impact Program that measures, among other things, how often a player is searched on Google. Searched on Google, you make more money in golf. How about that? Two. The National Women's Soccer League announces a television and streaming detailed platform for CBS Sports and their affiliates. 176 matches available to the global audience. Season begins this week in Cary, North Carolina, and continues through November 11. Ally Financial, a key Sponsor and the multi platforms include Primetime on CBS, which boosts women's coverage like none before. CBS's coverage of the 2023 season kicks off as the North Carolina Courage hosts the Kansas City Current live on Paramount Plus. Sounds like a promo. One. The World Baseball Classic. Thank you, Phoenix. Thank you, Miami. Team USA, Great Britain. The most watched game of the U.S. since 2009. Great Britain and the U.S. Yeah, that was the soccer game at Black Friday. But how about this in baseball? Over 98% increase to over 1 million fans. Obviously, the Mets not enamored with the tournament. Closer Edwin Diaz suffers a knee injury, so he's out for the year. But overall, the concept sustains. Made it the most watched first round game, the first loss of the season. The bottom line is uh, Great Britain more than losses. The more important issue is the continuation of an interesting and positive issue. The game was the most watched uh, first round in America since 2009. Japan versus South Korea on March 10 pulled a 44.4 TV rating outrating all sports competitions during the Tokyo Olympics. And the island nation's first four games averaged a whopping 42.3. Pool B games at the Tokyo Dome set a new tournament record for overall attendance, about 360,000, and an average of 36,000. 
Bottom line is this is a very important series domestically, but incredibly important internationally. And South Florida demonstrates its support for baseball, even if not the Marlins. And how about the Diamondbacks? And how about what happens in Arizona? And how about the support of the World Baseball Classic? Well, part of it, if not the major part, is Derek Hall, the CEO of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And the icon was born in L.A. in 1969. His father, Larry, worked in the newspaper industry. Hall moved across the U.S. during his childhood. He attended Arizona State on a speech and debate scholarship. And bottom line is we speech and debate folks appreciate others. He received a bachelor's degree in broadcasting and journalism, his master's in sports administration from Ohio University. He spent parts of 12 seasons in the Dodgers organization before joining the Diamondbacks in 2005 as a senior vice president of communications, elevated to president the following year, and added CEO to his title in 2009. Now, the fourth longest tenured CEO in Major League Baseball and led the organization to three postseason appearances and one National League pennant. Sits on the MLB International Committee and the Diversity and Inclusion Committee. And why not? Because he's associated with 25 philanthropic boards in Arizona. Truly a citizen of the community and a citizen of baseball. Married to his wife Amy since 1992. Parents of three children. He was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2011. He's cancer-free and obviously a tireless supporter of cancer-fighting organizations. A friend. He's really, really a trendsetter in all of Major League Baseball and honored to give folks some perspective on what Derek Hall is all about. Here he is. When did you get a feeling that you're going to have some career in sports or baseball, certainly. I was really baseball focused. I grew up uh, a big fan of the game. My father loved the game, played the game uh, through college, and, and he taught me everything about the game. We were big fans, and growing up in Southern California, it was Dodgers, it was Angels. I was a big Dodger fan, went to as many games as I could. And my father, he inspired me so much, you know, to not only love the game, but to aspire to be in the game. And I had to find a way to do it. And fortunately, it happened. And I've had just a wonderful career. And you always hear, if you love what you're doing, you'll never work a day in your life. I feel that way. It's pinched me. It's been great. Well, but the idea of how you get there, uh, it's a dedicated road, but it doesn't automatically follow from point A to point B. You graduate ASU in 91, then you go to that revered master's program at Ohio with Kaler. But then you get an internship at the Dodgers in Vero Beach. How did that happen? Well, they were in, our, in my class at Ohio University, so there were 25. But in the summer class that I was a part of, um, 18 individuals wanted to be in baseball. So everyone wanted that one internship we had that was with the Dodgers. And remember, I grew up Dodger fan, wanted to work for the Dodgers, and I had to get that internship. Uh, so we got very competitive. Everyone applied for it, interviewed for it, and fortunately they chose me. Went out to Vero Beach, uh, things worked out well, and they ended up making it full-time. So I stayed there with the Vero Beach Dodgers and also worked spring training for the L.A. Dodgers. Got to know Peter O'Malley, our owner, very well, and Fred Clare, who was general manager at the time. And uh, they suggested that I come, come west and uh, became a part of the management team at a very young age. I was very lucky. And I'll never forget my father, who worked in the newspaper business and was a very successful executive. Um, you know, he had told me, he says, you know, you're going to be a director before you're 25. And I said, oh, you're crazy. And it happened. He said, you're going to be a vice president before you're 30. I said, no way. It's not going to happen. It happened. He said, you're going to be a president before you're 40. And I said, dad, that one you're going to swing and miss on. And it happened. And I was just really fortunate. A lot of luck played a part of it, but, but hard work, great relationships, and uh, you know, a passion for what I do. 
Yeah, hard luck, great relationships, but uh, not hard luck. A lot of luck is, is wrong. Uh, we're going to talk about this a little later, but maybe it's time to comment about it this now. Your circle of success that you talk about, it's in the building, it's everywhere. Fan experience, uh, community, culture, financial efficiency, and performance. That's not just a mantra for the Diamondbacks brand. It almost seems like the way you live your life. Well, that's nice to say. Yeah, I hope so. And, and everybody here lives their life that way, too. Um, but, but those are the main areas of focus. If we're not focused on those five areas, or at least one or two at a time, we're not doing our jobs. And it's also uh, a big part of who we are and a big part of our culture to focus on our values. And so we feel like we're always building, you know, we're building a fan base, we're building a championship team, we hope. We're building a community, you know, through our community efforts. We're, we're building corporate partnerships, uh, relationships. We're always building. Um, so BUILD is the acronym now for our values. And it's, it's belonging, it's unified, it's integrity, it's, it's longevity, and it's development. And if you really take care of the people that work for you, we, we, we call them our team players, that culture will eat strategy for lunch, I believe. And so we are building them as well. Well, but also you understand how important it is for people who work in your orbit and for fans who come to the game, the solid training in the background from your dad as well. So that's very important. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I'll never forget my dad. He said, my advice for you in business is know everybody's name. I want you to know the person that is turning the hot dogs and the person that is sweeping the floors. You need to know everybody's name. And I, I feel like everyone here within our walls and under this roof does the same thing. We all know everyone's name. We care about everybody. There's no hierarchy. There's no closed door. We are no silos. It's fabulous. So 05 in the Diamondbacks community, again, SVP of communications, but then the president in 06 and the CEO in 09. Uh, how did that evolve? Well, uh, coming over here, you know, I had a feeling that there was opportunity and I, and I didn't know what that would be, but really just getting back into this market because um, I, I decided to leave the Dodgers. My wife and I met at Arizona State University. She grew up in Tucson. This is home. So I knew I wanted to get back to this market. Anytime I was here with the Dodgers and I'd sit in the stands, I'd say, golly, I want to be yeah. here. How do I get here? And so when I had the opportunity to come in and meet with ownership and they said, you know, we believe this is where you should be. I agreed with that. So I was happy to come over here. Uh, and at the time when I did become president, we had a CEO. He moved on and fortunately ownership gave me that, that promotion as well. And are you still the fourth longest tenured CEO in baseball? Correct, yes. What's the key to the survival? Uh, again, luck, right? And, and relationships, I think. But, but um, taking care of your people because they're the ones that take care of you. I, I don't do all the work, right? They all do. And they're the ones that make me look good and I hopefully you know, help them look good. We're in this together. So it's not just my success, it's their success and we all celebrate it together as well. Well, let's talk a little bit about the public trust that you, first of all, I assume uh, you believe that you're part of a larger organization that holds this franchise in public trust for the community. You, you say it well. That's why you're the professor. You say it right. I mean, we are a community asset. We realize that. We know that we have a social responsibility. When you look at all we do for the community, it's because we believe it's our, it's our responsibility and our duty. I mean, for us now to have surpassed $80 million in community giving, and we've only been around 25 years, it's remarkable. But it starts at the top with ownership. They believe in it. Our players believe in it. Our, our employees believe in it. Um, we understand. We understand our responsibility. It's not just open the gates and play games. It's be a huge part of this community, be a big part of employment, be a big part of taxes, be a big part of building downtown or wherever we're at. And it's, it's been a remarkable story to tell. You started in 92, and then three years later, you started as an intern at Dodgers in 92, and then three years later, the Diamondbacks are awarded. And then three years after that, they build their $130 million stadium. 
Did you get a sense, and you're an LA guy, but yeah. you went to ASU, so did you get a sense of what this place would be like for Major League Baseball? And did you start planning, even though you knew you wouldn't, you didn't know, but you weren't sure you were coming back? I there? always pictured myself here. Did you I really? did, yeah. So, and now it's dwarfed it. You, yeah. you know, you look at, I was at 12 seasons at the Dodgers, and I thought, wow, how am I ever going to be at another place that long? And now I've been 18 seasons here. So to have 30 years, 30 seasons in this game, uh, I pictured myself here, and I pinch myself each and every day that I, that I wake up here. It's a fabulous franchise. And you're on the shoulders, in many ways, of Joe Gargiola, of Jerry Colangelo. Uh, I assume you, you sought advice from the heroes or great, those folks. Great relationships with them. Um, you know, unfortunately, I serve on, on committees with, with, uh, with both. You know, Jerry and I are both Thunderbirds. We help put on the Phoenix Open here. Um, you know, he's remarked, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jerry. The Suns wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jerry. And then you mentioned Joe Garajola, you know, Joe Garajola Sr. and Jr. Uh, Joe Garajola Sr., who's such a character, I miss him each and every day. We were fortunate to have him on the air on Sundays. He did our telecast, and his son was our first general manager. He's back here working for, for us and for me. And alongside Joe, I, I learned a ton from Joe. I mean, to have a, a seasoned general manager who won a World Series around, not a bad thing. Let's talk about the World Series 2001. Uh, it's a transient community, just like me in Florida, everywhere's from somewhere else. What did it feel like for the community when you beat the Yankees, you spoiled the plot of what happens in 2001 after, uh, you know, coming back? But for Arizona, it's exactly the right thing. Can you describe the value of that win to this community? Well, it, it was euphoric, and I think what it did, it really set the future for us because, you know, when you're young, and as you mentioned, everybody is transit. They're coming from Chicago, or they came here for spring training, they watch the Cubs, they watch the Giants, they watch the Dodgers, you know, when they moved here. Now, you've got that next generation, all they remember, these youngsters, all they remember was that winning team and the white pom-poms and beating the Yankees, the mighty Yankees, and they were fans for life. It's so important that you can win. Now, we won very early, and so I think our fans got a little bit spoiled, and it's not easy, but they thought at the time, boy, this is, this is simple. And there was a first major championship in Phoenix. So we need to get back there. You know, we've been to the playoffs since then. You know, we went in 07, we went in 11, we went in 17. We need to get back more frequently. We're in a really tough division, obviously. Everyone knows what the Dodgers are, how strong they are. The Giants are, are rebuilding and, and building something powerful. The Padres, arguably as tough as any team in our division right now. So it's always going to be tough. We have to commit to who we really are. And, and that's a transition for our fans, too, because back then it was a higher payroll. We brought all these stars in. We did win, and we were still paying the price for many years. And now we're back to who we really should be. But I think they've embraced that now, and they see the homegrown product, which is much different and a much different model, but they like it. They've embraced it. They love it. They're anticipating success. Chase Field, 25 years old or yeah. so, and just like anybody or anything 25 years old, uh, facilities are the core of a franchise existence or business existence. It's your house. Uh, it's the foundation. It's a source of comfort for the fans. So talk a little bit about that aspect and your notion of, of what a facility should be and could be. Great question. And again, you know, you don't, you don't think of the Diamondbacks or Chase Field as being old because we are so new, yet we're now the fourth oldest facility in the league. And, and it's hard to believe, but you think about it, it's Wrigley, it's Dodger Stadium, Coors Field and us. But 25 years sitting in the desert in that hot sun, and, you know, we're going to make it look good. It's like that car that you can paint the outside. You look under the hood and you go, ooh, does this thing even ride? Um, and you can understand that. You know, we did an assessment that we needed to of this stadium, and we needed, at the time, about $400 million of maintenance and, and some, some uh, fixes. 
And so we're starting to address that. And does it make more sense to renovate this place or does it make more sense to go build new? And so we looked and we do, we've done our due diligence and kicked the tires. And there's a lot of interested parties, especially out of state, but we have no interest in moving out of state. We are Arizona and we are Phoenix and Maricopa County. So we're looking right now and, and seeing what the options are, but our fans deserve a state-of-the-art newer stadium. We don't have premium. We don't have luxury. It's all about the fan experience. We have great affordability. We have, of course, we're always going to be safe, secure, clean, but we need to bring some of the amenities that the other cities and ballparks have. We've got to increase our revenues and that's the best way. And once we do, our owners never put a penny in their pocket. They take it all and put it back into the product on the field or into the stadium. And whether it's renovation or new, you look at Chase Arena in Golden State and you realize the best practices for tech. You look at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta and you realize the lead and the green designation. Truest ballpark in Atlanta, we know the people that were involved in that. It's retail space as well. Globe Life in Texas, Arlington, the facility safety and COVID. I assume we're in a good position because you're about cultivating best practices and growing because of that. That is so true. And we would go around to all of those that you mentioned and more and take what they're doing best and bring it here, hopefully collaborate all of that. But you touched on one in particular, the battery in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. That's really the new model. Standalone stadiums, standalone facilities really don't work anymore. And especially in baseball, we're the anchor, right? For us to have more events, live events than any other team, any other sport. And you need it really to be activated 365 days a year. It's gotta be retail, it's gotta be mixed use. You're talking about hotels, uh, rentals, restaurants, shops, that's what we need. And so whether it's around this ballpark, but taking care of the inside too, or is it a new location with more mixed use? That's what our fans deserve, that's what we need. So a lot of people don't know this, but in the late 1919, 1918 time, we were recovering from a devastating Spanish flu epidemic, and the city fathers in New York said, what's gonna help us recover? Well, let's build infrastructure. What are we gonna do? Let's build Yankee Stadium, let's get into the sports business, and that vitalized, revitalized economic recovery after that Spanish flu. Now we've got a new Roaring Twenties, and people are using infrastructure dollars to help on spectator facilities all over the country, new or renovated. Denver just spending a lot of money to renovate their football stadium. Uh, Buffalo, a billion and a half for a, a new one. So give me your sense as we enter into the first full year of post-pandemic recovery, how you feel about that whole argument. Well, I think it's a great one. I think it's very timely and appropriate and it, and it relates to us. Uh, I think it would be a creative way to find more money to either build just the perfect stadium elsewhere or to renovate this place and bring it to where we think it should be today in modern times. You talk about pandemic money, it's out there. So if we could use some of that because we obviously, like every team, lost, and we're not crying poor, but lost a lot of money due to COVID, we could recover some or infrastructure dollars. The days of taxpayer dollars, at least now, are done. You know, the stadiums are not gonna be built with taxpayer dollars. Could you do hotel taxes? Sure, bed taxes, you know, residents are fine with that. But I also believe you could take infrastructure money for the same reason. You're gonna create jobs, you're gonna create activity, you're gonna generate economic a storm, really, which is what we all need. So I think those dollars would be put to good use with not just us, but baseball teams, baseball facilities, all sports facilities, and the surrounding area for mixed use. And rather than being in the center of the country with nobody wanting to come, you have a perfect storm in an incredible tourist-driven economy where you can use some of those dollars to attract the mega events. Uh, you have the NASCAR events twice a year. You have the Final Four coming next year. The Super Bowl uh, is here. Uh, you have uh, major events. 
Plus, the last time you had the All-Star Game was over 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So you have this uh, pent-up uh, demand where it's not just for people who are here, but also the multiplier effect of bringing people in from out of town. So true. And, I, and you touched on the All-Star Game, and we had to convince Commissioner Selig at the time. He kept saying, I think it's too hot in July. I think it's too hot. And we said, no, trust us. It's going to be great. And it was one of the best All-Star Games ever, and the fans just loved it, raved about it. We also have the, the golf tournament we talked about before. We have the WBC World Baseball Classic. We've been fortunate to host the first and you know even second rounds here. We're going to have the first round again. So we're going to have USA. We're going to have Canada. We're going to have Mexico. It's great. But this is a mecca for baseball. We've got spring training. We've got fall league. We've got you know all the now all the complexes out here that they'll have summer league. We've got ASU baseball, GCU baseball. There's so much going on. You may think it's competition. I see it as complimentary. You know, there's a there's a desire to watch baseball, and there's no better place than than right here with your family. It's the family sport. And I, I think it'd be wise to invest in, in, in baseball in this market. A lot of people I find around the country are deadened once they hear economic impact numbers because, they, ah, you know, what does that mean? But when you see the Carey School talk about $700 million to a billion dollars of annual impact, well, the reason is because you have all of these people coming into a town and staying for five days instead of two yeah. and going to events and bringing their family instead of just one. So there's a story to put behind it. Right? Exactly right. Yeah, there is so much tremendous economic impact. If we're close to a billion dollars a year, which I obviously know those numbers, the All-Star Game, we, talk, we talked about $70 million just from that All-Star Game. People are staying in the hotels, they're eating in the restaurants. You look at, for example, light rail on a Friday, Saturday night, we're the highest volume because of our games here. We bring the most activity, the most bodies here for all of our games, more than any other activity or event taking place downtown. And I'm so proud of that. Yeah. The city knows it, the state knows it. We love contributing the way we have. Um, so so you, you feel like an important part of this community. A few other pieces relative to the house and what it means. Legends Entertainment District, talk about that. Legends is, is a collaboration between the city of Phoenix, the Phoenix Suns, and us. And so we were going to create uh, as much of a Times Square as we could and really light up downtown and energize it as best we can, which we've done. So now we have a lot of signage. We're bringing in our community partners. We're bringing in our corporate partners, uh, attaching the, the two of us with the garage in between, the parking garage that we both own. Um, it's, been a, it's been a really nice partnership, and it's allowed us to, to make a little money for the city as well and, and the two of us so that we continue to just renovate and, and energize everything that's going on downtown. And now it's not just desert and streets and boring. It's lit up. It's exciting to watch. It's, it's interactive. It's videos. It's, it's uh, billboards, and it's been nice to see. Desert street, boring billboards, and gaming. You have the definitive Caesars right next to the building was there amazing facility talk about that it is and we did it quickly as a as a state and i really credit our our governor doug ducey who was so smart that he attached it to the new gaming compact with all the native american tribes and so the teams and the tribes were on board together it was a brilliant way to go about it um, and so you know we have the licenses and it's uh it's been a nice partnership with caesars we wanted to have a high-end name um, we were thrilled that they were interested in us. It's been a, a, a nice partnership with that building that we took and converted it into a, um, obviously a sports book, but it's more than that. It's a, it's a great place for families to go and eat. Guy Fieri has his name on it on, and with the restaurant. It's an experience and uh, it's been nice to see. But the most important part about the gaming and why we were behind it, because for years it was taboo, as you know, especially in baseball, is it really has helped with the interactivity and the, the, the integration of, of 
gaming now keeps people wanting to go to your games, keeps people wanting to stay there, um, being able to, to bet right on the spot, it may be an eight to nothing game. You're not just going to get up and leave because the game's over. You're still going to sit there because you're going to make a, maybe make a wager responsibly okay. on what's going to happen during that game. But I think it's been great for, for the interaction and, and uh, you know, the fans are clued as a result. Is Major League Baseball staying young enough? I think we're focused on getting younger. Yeah. yeah, so it was always an issue and a concern before. We knew that our, our fan base was aging, but I think what we're doing now from a technology standpoint and finally marketing the game really well, you know, we need our stars. We need our stars to market, and the other sports have always done a nice job of that. I'm starting to see that, and we're also showing that it's trending down, which is very good, trending down as far as age goes, uh, and that's also because of social media and the interaction there. Uh, it's everything that we're doing in the community, and just like I said, Rick, getting the kids to come here, they're watching, but giving them other ways to watch, yeah. too. We know there's competition. They can't just, a lot of kids, I was the same way. I couldn't sit for nine innings or extra innings in the entire game. Well, now, you know, kids can watch on their devices. They can watch at home on their computers. That's very important. We listen to Derek and get some perspective about the multitasking that involved in the CEO of the Diamondbacks every day, but also what he's done and what he intends to accomplish. How about the sports gambling minute? March Madness underway in New York. Uh, numbers going to get higher. A billion dollars generated from the for the state since fans could bet on games and the operators combined for 1.47 billion in accepted bets in February. The industry totaled nearly 3.3 billion over the first two months of 2023. A year ago, the Empire State went into March, just shy of 3.2 billion. The beginning of 2022 saw some relatively inflated figures. The New York sports books rolled out special promotions and bonuses to attract and retain customers. Now, marketing drastically reduced since that time, and the tournament speaks for itself. It includes six first and second round games at MVP Arena in Albany. I was there last week, as you remember, and another three Sweet 16 and Elite Eight games at Madison Square Garden. The tournament provides another jolt for sports betting in New York. No doubt slingshots the industry into greater heights. The New York online sports betting industry since January 22, $19 billion in accepted wagers, leading to $1.6 billion in New York sports betting revenue. And the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8, the total will exceed $20 billion. In New York should see tax revenue top a billion, the total currently sits at $824.6 million. Good for New York, good for the NCAA, and hopefully good for teachers, roads, and infrastructure. Finally, your Sports Tech Minute again back at baseball. A deal designates Zoom as the league's official unified communications platform, Zoom and MLB. Zoom and MLB agreed to that partnership, and I'll see the communications technology company empower new game and broadcast elements. The company becomes the presenting sponsor of MLB Replay Review. Zoom will continue to connect senior umpires at each game to its Zoom Replay Operations Center during any replay review. Viewers can watch the center during live broadcasts on MLB Network and Apple TV and hear from an analyst during the incident. Zoom technology being introduced into MLB operations on and off the field. Partnering with Zoom reinvents the way they connect, and it's a natural step. 
The pact marks the first time all stages of the replay review system have been brought together by one operator. The goal of making the process more transparent and engaging, says MLB. For Zoom, the MLB deal adds a partnership portfolio that includes the Golf's DP World Tour, Formula One, and outfitting Red Bull Racing. It's been signed in time for the start of the 2023 season, which obviously, as we know, starts next week. That's your Sports Tech Minute. As we normally do, we end with the Good Sports Five, philanthropy, Michael Jordan, everybody understanding how important he's been to charity, looking like he wants to sell majority control of the Charlotte Hornets. He bought them for $275 million in 2010, and obviously selling or intending to sell much, much more if, as far as a pro rata share of his, of his overall stake, especially since former Michigan State guard Matt Ishbia purchased the Phoenix Suns and Mercury earlier this season for $4 billion, nearly doubled the previous league record sale at $2.35 billion by Joe Tsai of the Nets in 2019, who can forget the uh, Clippers sale with Steve Ballmer as well for $2 billion. $20 billion Saudi purchase to buy Formula One was, quote, just speculation, according to their sports minister. They're thinking about it. It's been in the papers. They're saying they deny it, but one of the things they can't deny is they certainly have enough money for the sale. We'll see how it has to shake out. The Penn State deal, as far as men's basketball, is looking like they are generating more excitement than anybody's thought. Certainly football important. Football post-Joe Paterno, really important to rebuild the brand. And now basketball looks like it's taking a step good for them. Arkansas Wolves announced a partnership with UK's Wolverhampton. And this is a school that has been at a clear Arkansas State generation for a long time. But the bottom line is the Arkansas Wolves owner in soccer is attempting to reach across the pond to generate more excitement as well. And Liverpool is not for sale, according to John Henry, the sports group, the founder and principal owner. They were interested in investment in November following a report where they claimed they were inviting offers to buy Liverpool. Now Henry ruled out the sale of the Premier League club, but also attempting to generate more excitement in charitable efforts. All charity, all philanthropy, all the time. Well, we'd like to thank you all for listening and watching. We'd like to thank Derek Hall for giving of his time and his perspective and vision as we move forward into the baseball season. Nick Nielsen helped us put the show together. And again, invite you all to listen and watch next week when we go on the record inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. I'm the sports professor, Rick Harrow. Speak with you soon.